It's easy to turn on the TV. It's easy not to go to that networking session. It's easy not to invest a couple of hundred dollars in a conference to see if you want to do it. It's easy not to invest in a educational program or coaching. It's easy to say, I can't find any deals. All of those things are easy. And all of those things would also be the reason why you have to work for the full 40 or 50 years that people are trapped working right now. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Dr. Esther Dorison with me today. Esther, how are things down in Texas? No, I'm actually in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Were you ever in Texas? No, I've never lived in Texas. I only went there for a conference. I went to Austin, which was pretty cool. Well, yeah, you got to <laughs> stay weird in Austin. So I totally goofed that guy. She's in, she's in the Southeast. She's closer than I thought. So (laughs) Esther has been hanging around for a while and she saw me post something where I said, hey, if you got questions, let's ask and see if I can give you a jump start." And so she was brave enough to jump on with me today. So I am here to serve, madame. How can I help? Well, as you know, I am in the healthcare field. I don't have any business background. In fact, I feel like my financial literacy knowledge is very, very limited. I'm not sure if I told you, but I'm a mother of two. My daughter turns one at this at the end of this month. So when I was on maternity leave in March, I was having a conversation with my husband about how frustrated I was about paying so many taxes. You know, here I'm paying off all the student debt. It's a single income household. We have a family of four. And I feel like a good chunk of our money goes back to the government. So I went to the internet just to get some information. And in my research, real estate came up. You know, when you have family, it's not about you anymore. You know, it's you sacrifice self. It's about their future. And so I was just trying to figure out how do I leave something special? How do I leave a legacy? How do I build wealth? And part of that process, I feel like ownership is important. And so real estate, I think, is just a nice way to, I I think it's just to to build wealth over time. You have some cash flow. It can hopefully offer some protection towards retirement. But I just don't have, I don't know the basics. I don't have a roadmap on how to be successful in this field. And so... Your name came up, well, I think an advertisement came up on my feed and I started following you and I just, I, I like what you were about, what you were, the message you're putting out there. I felt like I can relate. I mean, it was just nice to see someone who looked like me in this space. And here I am. Here you are with all of the things. <laughs> so much deeper. And so I love your vulnerability, your transparency, and I am going to go deep on some of the stuff that you brought up because I find it all fascinating. And the programming that we get is something that I think like ends up being at times detrimental, but as long as we're aware that we're making the decisions and they are actually our choice instead of the programming, I think it works out a whole lot better for us. So there's one thing that you said that raised the flag and I wanna talk about it 
just briefly because the listeners don't ever get to hear me talk about this type of stuff on the multifamily missteps platform, but we do talk about it on Dreamcatchers. And you said, you know, when you have a family, it's not about you anymore. And I don't agree with you. I think it's always about you. It's just not only about you anymore. True. And what I've seen, especially with the queens of our community, is that they stop taking care of themselves. They stop thinking about themselves and they take care of everybody else. And then they are left drained, empty and frustrated and flustered. And then all of the loving and I don't know, nurturing. Yeah, that's the other word I wanted was nurturing. That turns into resentment at some point because you're empty and you're depleted and you're trying to give when you don't have. And so my encouragement to you is to change those. I, I know it's, seems really small in, in the words, but change those words just a little bit and say, it's not just about me anymore because it totally is about you. And if you're not taking care of you, you have to be careful because nobody else probably is because you teach the world how to treat you. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for that. I step off the soapbox and then we start talking about real estate. So the first thing I will tell you to you and all the listeners is I am not a tax professional. So I am not going to give you any tax advice. What I will tell you is that if you or your husband, I assume you guys file your taxes together, can get the real estate professional designation, then you are able to use your income or depreciation, your depreciation from real estate to offset some of that income you get being a doc. And that is really powerful because if you buy stuff big enough, and that doesn't mean that you have to bring all the money, but if you buy stuff that's big enough, you can write off large amounts, which are just really paper losses, right? So the money doesn't actually go anywhere. It's just a depreciation of the asset. And that can't catch up with you on the back end if you're not careful. So you, you have to think through the entire strategy, not just year to year. But the, there are some advantages to being able to depreciate it. The thing that a lot of people won't say who are touting the real estate investments is that the majority of the benefit is tied to you being a real estate professional. See, what happens with the passive investments a lot of the times is there's caps based on your income. And you, you have to talk to your tax professional about that, right? But your gross income, as it gets higher and higher, it takes away your ability to capture some of those losses unless you have some passive income to offset them against. So if you're active, then you can bring it over and it really be impactful. Does that make sense? I'm following you. I'm following you. <laughs> kind of. So think about it like this. The The best way I can describe it is you active income. I work, I do it. And I can only offset active income with active losses. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Passive. I make passive income, which means I don't really do anything. I write a check and give it to somebody else. Passive losses can offset passive income. Okay. The real value is when you can buy real estate that is considered active. That's the game. And you can do that in a number of different ways, but it's really just a function of what your tax strategist or tax preparer is comfortable doing and you as well, because if you ever do get audited, you could be forced to pay whatever that delta is in taxes if you 
don't do it properly or have the proper documentation for it. Okay. So that is not the driver though. The real driver, it seems, is you want to own some stuff. You want to leave a legacy. You can't leave your practice to the babies. And you also want to bolster your retirement. And I don't know this to be the case, but you may want to retire a little earlier. And so you stack those things up. Real estate is a great opportunity for that because you could turn the income on now versus turning the income on when you're 65 or whenever you can start accessing social security and retirement accounts and so on and so on and so on. So what do you do, right? It's buy something that cash flows is the game. How do you buy something that cash flows? Well, I always go back to the four pillars, right? Knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital. Based on what you said in the intro, you haven't done anything with any of them so far. So we have to start with the foundation, which is knowledge and really get you educated and so excited that you're coming to multi, the Mid-Atlantic Multifamily <laughs> Investing Conference. So that I. is step one. I think you're going to walk out of there on fire and ready to take on the world because you're going to see some ladies from all over the country talking that talk and showing you how they're making money awesome. and doing the other stuff. You're going to see some guys. I know we're not as exciting as ladies, but you're going to see some guys trying to talk a little bit of that <laughs> talk too. And really just exposing mm -hmm. you to the world and letting you know the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Being a doc or the process of becoming a doc is really hard. And then, you know, the part of the practice that you're in, you could get called in the middle of the night. So, you know, there are some things that aren't so appeasing or appetizing with being a owner operator. And you have to decide if that fits in your plan. And a lot of it you can be isolated from by hiring a property manager and managing that manager. You can do it at a prescribed or scheduled time, which I think allows you to have a lot more control and freedom over your life. You don't have to worry about the 2 a.m. phone calls and some of the other non-desirable things. But you know, there will be times maybe where you have to write a check that you didn't expect to write or something comes up and you got to make a tough decision on whether to evict or let somebody stay in the property who's maybe not doing exactly what you would like for them to be doing in the property. And so, you know, you have tough conversations in your day job. And as long as you're comfortable making those hard decisions, and I think you would be as long as you have the knowledge, right, or you have some support to help walk you through them. And I think that's nothing that's insurmountable for you. The ability to pass things on would really be a function of how you structure your deals, right? If you do them in a way where, you know, you own them or you and the hubby owns them or you and a small group of friends own them and you have a common timeline where you want to hold the property, then that can go to the next generation. It'll be some contractual work that has to be done to make sure that it's structured in a way where it will pass in the way that you want it to. It won't just be you're able to do your will and then everything else works from that. But I do think if you're doing it in the way that we encourage folks to do it in the beginning is to do it with friends and family. And while you may be the most knowledgeable one going in, you know, over time, inviting them to the stuff like conference and 
maybe exposing them to some of the educational opportunities that are out there. Once they get a taste of it, they make it more serious as well. And you can kind of build and grow your community and of investors and grow that network and meet people from all over the country and the world and have them paying attention to what you guys have going on in Georgia or whatever market you decide to invest in, because you don't have to invest in your backyard, but I encourage you to do it up front just so you can drive by, you can see it, you can get a good feel for how it's working. There's nothing better than pulling up to your property. I do enjoy that probably more than anything else, even if I'm going there because I don't like what happened and I want to make sure I'm not spending too much money on something. But that is kind of part of the process, right? What I will say is ownership is extremely important. And so, you know, after you get the knowledge, then you'll start looking for deals. And some people want to be really passive with the deal searching. I think the real value creation is in finding deals that are off market, getting direct to seller. And in doing that, you will be able to buy some things at a discount. And with that discount, you can put the money back into the property, improve it. That's usually the business plan, some form of improving it, whether you're reducing expenses or increasing income. We like to do both. And then, you know, in that process, you'll want to have somebody with some experience on your team, right? The bank's going to require that unless your net worth is just through the roof and you can just write a check for the deal, but you're getting a loan because the money's cheap. And so you need to find somebody who's, as the bank told me, has done this business plan for a property of this size. And if you have that, then the bank is the biggest partner in the deal, typically bringing 60 to 80% of the cash. And then you'll be responsible for the Delta 20 to 40%. And it's not just you, but you and committee. And what the banks typically look for is for you to have post-closed liquidity of 10% of the loan amount. So let's say you're buying a million-dollar property. The people who signed the loan will need to have a million-dollar net worth, and they would need to have $100,000 in cash after you make your two hundred dollars to $400,000 down payment. And so all of those things, I think, are very possible for you. And... I think you can execute them. It's just taking very deliberate steps along the way. And my thing when I work with people one-on-one is making sure that they don't run off the road, right? I think when we get ready to drive cars, we end up in driver's ad. And so there's somebody in the passenger seat and you as a new driver sitting in the behind the steering wheel with the gas and the brake. And where the person sitting in the passenger seat is just telling you, hey, watch out for this, look out for that. And if something's going crazy, they will yell at you and tell you to stop because they don't want you to get in trouble. The thing that you said last is probably probably the most important thing for you. I think you led with other stuff, but I think the true reason why you're interested is generational wealth and creating legacy. And what I've seen more often than not is people end up doing the exact opposite. They create debt because the project didn't work. They bought something that was too skinny and then something happened that they didn't expect. And that put them in a place where they didn't have opportunity to make money with that investment. So they ended up losing it slash selling it at a loss. And when you stack those things up, they ended up going backwards. And a lot of times that is enough to make them not try anymore. And so the cost of having a coach or mentor 
and or even just getting education up front, I think is well worth it. Do I think that you need to go spend $50,000 before you even get started and figure out if this is the path you want to go down? I don't. Do I think you need to spend 30? Probably not. I think working with somebody who's willing to work with you month to month so you know that you're getting value for the dollars that you're putting in and getting a reminder that you're paying for somebody to come along with you so that you do the work that's necessary because you know, you're getting the strategy, you're getting the guidance, you're getting access to somebody that can answer questions for you, but they are not going to do the work for you. And I think that is the biggest misconception and the thing that makes people uh, a little disillusioned on the backside. And I mean, when you're talking those bigger numbers, then you you kind of want or expect to get more, but that's not the case. You are paying for people to ask questions to and be potentially help you solve the problem, right? If you need to go raise money, people who have access to folks with money and net worth that can help you qualify for a loan that you can't get on your own are pretty valuable. But I think there are other ways to get that done without you paying a really high price tag, mainly by doing a bunch of inner work so that you attract people to you that have similar values to yours. And that allows you to have a great partnership instead of feeling like you're wrestling for control and fighting over things that aren't really important to you. Because again, you got into the game to build legacy, a generational wealth for your family and those in your network. So I've rambled on for a while. What else should we talk about? Or what do you, questions do you have about what I said? A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. I feel like you really touched on a lot of things that I was going to ask you about, you know, because I know showing up and doing the work is important, but is that something that you can feasibly do on the side part-time or is it something that you have to really go in and invest full-time into kind of research your market and identify those deals, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I think it's a function of how driven you are. Some people have the discipline to do it. Others will say, oh, well, I was just talking to a guy earlier today. He was commuting an hour and a half each way. He was working for nine hours at the minimum. And so 12 hours of his day, every day was gone. And so did he have the energy to put another three to four hours in after that? He did. And he built his business on the side, working a schedule like that. My friend Spencer Hillegas from California, he, he leads a company called Madison Investing with his wife. And Spencer was in high tech and he was getting up at four o'clock each morning, doing the work on the business, going into work, working all day, always leaving at five because he was committed to building his business, spending time with the family. And then after the kids went to bed, he would go do another hour or two on his work. So he was getting four to five hours in on his business each day. And so there's ways to make it work if you want to make it work. 
And it's really just a function of how big your why is against the why not. It's easy to turn on the TV. It's easy not to go to that networking session. It's easy not to invest a couple of hundred dollars in a conference to see if you want to do it. It's easy not to invest in an educational program or coaching. It's easy to say, I can't find any deals. All of those things are easy. And all of those things would also be the reason why you have to work for the full 40 or 50 years that people are trapped working right now. Or you can work really hard for a condensed period of time, earn your freedom, and be able to do what you want. Maybe you don't want to work a full 40-hour week. Maybe you want to work half time. Maybe you want to work no time because you enjoy the real estate investing even more. Like, But at the end of the day, the choice is yours, right? And that's what I think everybody's pursuing. Everybody's pursuing the freedom of choice. Yes, I agree. Now, we, we talked about getting the education, and I, obviously one way of doing that is to take advantage of the course that you have. Is that a strategy that works in any market? Because I feel like with me being from New York, I'm used to being around a whole bunch of buildings, whereas here in the South, it's all about single-family homes. It's kind of hard to find multifamily properties the further north, because I'm about 40 minutes north from Atlanta. So pretty, pretty rural to some degree. So I'm just like, uh, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I, was, I just feel like it's such a hot market right now where something goes up, up independent of single family or multifamily, and it's gone the next day. So is, it, uh, is now the time to just kind of be on the sidelines and just kind of consume as much information as possible and do whatever I need to do to prepare myself and be more favorable when it's time for me to take action? Or... Do I look outside of my space? I know you recommend saying local, but I don't know. I just don't know where the opportunities are here in Georgia. So part of the course is identifying your market and there's a whole module on how to do that and then homework for you to figure out where your market is. Does it work in any market? It does because the math's the same. It's, you apply the same things for valuation and it's just a matter of what your business plan is and can you make it work in that market? But everybody's strategy is different, right? And so... The course is going to teach you the fundamentals, the foundation, and then you have to figure out how that fits in your strategy. You can consume, and I encourage you to consume as much information as possible, but I don't want you to wait because there is no graduation, right? You're going to be doing this forever. You're going to be consuming information as long as you're in the space. Just like you have continued educations in your day job, I feel like you have even double or triple or quadruple that as an investor because you need to know where the markets are heading. You need to understand what's going to impact your particular properties. And if you can skate to where the puck is going, then you can beat people to other opportunities. I do think that, you know, the South is the place to be. People are fleeing the North, they're fleeing the West and they're coming to the South and the Southeast. And that puts you in a great space. Does that mean that you buy something that doesn't make sense financially? No, right? And the stuff that's being marketed actively is probably overpriced, but getting direct to seller, we like to talk to folks who are ready to retire. They got a bunch of trapped equity. They have a reason to divest and they feel like they're making a fortune because they bought it at a lower cost basis. You feel like you're getting a great deal because it's less than what the stuff is being marketed for through the Crexies and loop nets. And I think it's a win-win for everybody because you're allowing them to unlock their savings, right? All their savings in the property instead of being in the stock market. 
Why are you partial to multifamily versus single family home investing? Because I don't believe that single families are set up to actually be a business. Okay. So multifamilies are set up to be a business. The, you look at a multifamily home, you see a profit and loss statement. You've got maintenance reserves built in. You've got you know, property management accounted for. Most people buy single family home. They say, here's my mortgage, here's my rent. That's how much money I'm making in cash flow. They don't have anything in for expenses, anything in for management. And when they really come down and look at the bottom line over the course of two years, they're not making any money on the property. They just don't know. Okay. It. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I think that's about it for now. <laughs> this is really helpful. What qualities do you think makes one successful in this space? And like, how much capital would you say one would need to even begin? And I know you can't talk about specific because every market is unique, but just generally. <laughs> yeah. So in general, I like markets where you can buy something from 40 to $60,000 per unit. And then the rents are in the five to $700 range. So you can make an adjustment on them. So what we encourage people to do is buy something between half a million and 1.5 for their first deal and, or their first couple of deals so they can get the experience. And so you would just multiply 1.5 by 0.2. That's uh, 300 grand. You need a little bit more. So let's call it 0.3. And so it would be a little bit more than 300,000 if you want to do something on the upper end of the spectrum, 1.5. The lower end of the spectrum, if we call it 40,000, well, and so for, just go to 500,000, forget the 40,000, just go to 500,000. That would be 100K for the down payment, plus a little more to close, have some post liquidity closing. And so that would be 100 grand, right? So somewhere between 100 and 350 between you and your partners. It doesn't have to be all your cash, right? And then the other piece of that is qualifying for the loan with net worth. And so you got to have somebody on the team or the combination of the people signing the loan who can jump in and qualify for or prove that they have a net worth that is equal to the loan amount. And so, you know, for that $500,000 loan, um, that would be 400K in net worth, which uh, there's a lot of people that are doing that without much problem. Okay. Is it risky having so many hands involved in a transaction like that? Well, I, so you can structure it in such a way that you control the risk, right? And we, we dive pretty deep on that when we get into operating agreements in our course. But the whole idea is you and the person who puts the most money in. So you as a deal lead and the person who puts the most money in, you should be able to control the deal. You should be able to make decisions and you set up the voting rights accordingly. Is it risky? If you don't know who you're partnering with, absolutely. But if you actually absolutely know the person, you know your values are aligned, the only disagreement that you really have is a business decision but it won't be due to a lack of values. You guys will be on the same mission. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I look forward to many more conversations. <laughs> this is going to be a long journey. I'm here for the duration and I, I'm excited about you and your future. And to the listeners, the pack is with you. We'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture. So you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating, give us a review, and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.